Now, Heavenly Father, we always ask your blessing, but indeed this morning, we just need your grace even more. These are complicated uh, truths and just really, um, really, they're, they're astonishing things to consider. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. So speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Well, we heard some sad news this week. Um, jailed Christian pastor Saeed Abedini was convicted by an Iranian court. There's going to be a picture of him and his family coming up. Uh, he was sentenced to eight years in Tehran's most notorious prison, and this happened last Sunday, a prison that's known for its brutality and torture. Uh, the American pastor was born in Iran, but he lives in Boise, Idaho. He's an American, and he went on a missions trip back to his native country to work primarily with an orphanage, and that's him, and the picture doesn't uh, come out very well, but you get the idea. Thanks for that. Yeah, it's, a, it's one of those pictures that's fine. Thank you for his picture, but uh, he was officially convicted on charges of evangelizing and threatening uh, the national security of Iran. And um, through his leadership of Christian house churches. And so the State Department is involved, but it remains to be seen what's in store for Pastor Saeed. Well, that, that, it's nothing new to hear stories like that. It doesn't come to... Uh, uh, it, it doesn't come as a surprise for us because the, the Lord Jesus 2,000 years ago said, hey, this world wasn't very hospitable to me and my message. How much more to yours? Because uh, if they called me the prince of demons, what kind of worse names are they going to call you my follower? So the pastor is just trying to do what the Lord Jesus asks of all of us to go into all the world, no exceptions, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, I tell you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, disciple all nations. Disciple all nations, whether they want it or not, whether they outlaw it or not. You know, that's the cost and the price of love is because the truth Jesus said in John 8 will set the heart free. The truth brings eternal life. And, and it's, it's the mission of God is to come to an inhospitable world at, at, the, at the expense of his own life. Therefore, we kind of have been given the same sort of commission. So... I cannot uh, imagine living and ministering in such a setting where it's against the law to share the faith, to be a Christian, um, to do what God has commanded us to do at the cost of your own livelihood or your family, your freedom, and even ultimately your life. Can you imagine the discouragement right now in pastors uh, uh, Saeed's family and friends and church? Uh, there's a lot of discouragement. The book of Revelation was written to encourage the persecuted church. And so that, that must be kept in mind, uh, that Revelation was originally written and sent to Christians living under the same kinds of hostile regimes uh, as any Islamic republic today. And it's an encouragement. The first century church there, the seven 
that were first addressed in the first three chapters, or chapters two and three. They were living under a Roman uh, empire where emperor worship, where Caesar was lord, and dissenters were dealt with quite severely. So the motivation, keep in mind, behind the 22-chapter prophecy of the end of the world, the motivation for that is to help suffering Christians to patiently, faithfully endure to the end. So the Lord kind of reveals the future. What he does is it's kind of like he lets us read uh, the last chapter of the story where Jesus wins, and it's a shared victory with his people as well. And, and the lesson of Revelation is that faithful endurance pays off. So it makes sense. If you're facing any kind of struggle, and uh, by God's good grace, he shows you the resolve. He puts it on, on your screen there, whatever screen. And, and he shows you, you know this, this problem that you're having? Let me show you how it resolves. And you look and you see that problem, that challenge that's weighing so heavy on your heart resolve in a, in a, in a wonderful way. A way that maybe you didn't even plan, but you can see how wonderful it is. Then you would go, you would be able to with joy, peace, and and a lot of confidence, even though it doesn't mitigate the pain and the suffering of the trial, you still have to endure that. But with a peace that passes understanding because you already know how it ends. That's the whole point of these 22 chapters in Revelation. It's to tell the world that Jesus wins, especially those who are going to be living in the last days immediately preceding the Lord Jesus' appearing, because Jesus says in that day, it'll be the most hostile environment that the world has ever known. The beast, as the Bible calls the Antichrist, and his military regime will make Nero and the Roman Empire look like a cakewalk in comparison. And so if you've been with us these past months, we've seen how it's all playing out, in, in something called the Great Tribulation, the last seven years of human history, right before Jesus appearing. So it's time here in chapter 14, the context of chapter 14 is we just in chapter 13 heard some very disconcerting news. Uh, and now it's time to, for a little encouragement and a fast forward to the end so that we can see, oh yeah, God wins and his people win with him. So as things intensify here at the end of the world, uh, chapter 14 divides nicely into two parts, and we're going to take that chapter uh, as a whole. Uh, uh, verses rather 1 through 5, we see an effort to encourage believers to remain on the path. And in the rest of the chapter, from verses 6 to the end of your chapter, we see an effort to discourage unbelievers from remaining on their path, all right? So the first part is an encouragement to believers to keep on the path, and the second part is an effort to discourage unbelievers from remaining on their path. So first to the uh, encouragement. So uh, verse one, then I looked, and there before me was a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. 
And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and a, like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So this is part one, the encouragement to stay on the path, because it's dangerous to stray from the path. You know, Proverbs 21 and verse 16. A man who strays from the path of understanding comes to rest in the company of the dead. It's not a good thing to stray from the path. And at the end of the world, those last seven years, there's going to be phenomenal pressure to do just that. And so here comes some encouragement. You know what the Lord said in Matthew 7? He said, narrow is the way that leads to life. Narrow is that road that leads to life. And few, comparatively speaking, find it. Broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many go that way. So the whole world here at the end of the world will be stepping over one another to get on that wide road to destruction. The last days will be indeed tough times to live for God. Um, so it won't be impossible, but it'll be very tough. Uh, the Holy Spirit, as Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us, the Holy Spirit kind of acted uh, as a restraint in the world, like a guardrail from keeping the world from toppling over the cliff. The Holy Spirit restrains men and civilization. But one day, according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, as I just cited, one day he shall be removed. He who restrains will be taken out of the way, and with him the church he indwells. Taken out of the way is a good way to describe it. The world will be left to its own devices. No contrary voices of morality or biblical authority, then the Antichrist rises to take the helm. Now, we've seen in context here for our chapter, the devil has made his move through his man, the Antichrist, but the Bible calls him the beast. Uh, he arises with his sidekick, the false prophet, to deceive the entire world with lying signs and wonders. Um, he comes on the scene, the false prophet, uh, gentle and kind in appearance, but treacherous with lies and deceit. Jesus described him and others like him as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And so these fantastic miracles are happening at the end of the world, surrounding the Antichrist and the false prophet. And I guess the thing that pushes the whole world over the cliff to worship this beast is his mock death and resurrection. Apparently, there's an assassination attempt, as we've been studying, and he rises from the dead, whatever that means. It certainly looks like he has done just that. So the world goes gaga over dear leader, as I call him. There's no uh, church left to remind the world 
uh, to keep their spiritual wits about them. There's no Holy Spirit to restrain the world from plunging or to restrain men's passions. Can you imagine a world where there's no restraint on morality or violence or any kind of wicked scheme in the heart of man? So between the mock resurrection, the miracle signs and wonders, and then the idolatrous image, the statue that's set up in the temple that speaks, that comes to life and says, worship me or die. That kind of helps the world kind of come into line. And so the proclamation goes out, coming up to our verses now, that... um, we must worship dear leader or be executed. You, can, you must take his mark, the mark 666, that has something to do with his identity. You must take that mark. You will not be able to participate in the economy. You will not be able to buy a, a drink of water, or you will not be able to rent a home. You will not be able to live without that mark. And so um, it goes on the right hand. It goes on your forehead. It's accessible. The good news is you can buy and sell. You'll avoid execution. The bad news is you seal your fate forever. And so here we go. We've got now, uh, they aren't the only ones with a mark on their forehead that tells you who they belong to, their Lord and Master, the beast. Well, there are others now, 144,000, who are now standing there, and they have a mark, they have an identity. They belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And just a wonderful thing to see them again here. Fast forwarded to the end because they're standing on the hills that form Mount Zion. It's just an ancient way of saying the hills that make up Jerusalem where Jesus will eventually end up. So we, it's a fast forward and it has a point here. So the opening verses, really the Holy Spirit wishes to clarify what he meant by conquered in the last chapter, because this is what we heard in chapter 13. The Antichrist, the beast, was given power to make war with God's people, and he conquered them. So right away, the Holy Spirit wants to tell us, oh, let me define what I mean by conquered them. So what's up with all the believers being martyred and overpowered, now a vision to the end so that we could read the last chapter and understand what that meant. They are physically overcome, Christians for the most part, in, that, in those days, uh, they are physically overcome, yes. Spiritually overcome, never. Those born of God overcome the world, First John chapter 5 and verse 4. And so really the point of these five verses before you is saying really this. You don't need to be kept alive to have the victory. Now, now that's something that the Lord is trying to always get through to his beloved human beings, his children. He said in Luke 21, so don't be afraid of them. The truth will always be known. Uh, it, it will come out. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he's saying, you know, it's not the end of the world to die. He's saying that uh, death 
for the believer is irrelevant. It doesn't have any meaning. It's the second death that is relevant and significant. Uh, that's the death you don't want to die. The first death is uh, for the believer ha- has really no meaning. It has meaning to us, but it doesn't really have meaning as far as being overcome because it, it, this is his whole deal. So uh, verse one, flash forward to the, really to the end of the tribulation. Like I said, Jesus comes back in Revelation 19. So we get a glimpse of, wow, here he is. He, he comes back in the Bible uh, through Mount, the Mount of Olives where he ascended. And he makes his way to Jerusalem. And so we get a fast forward to, wow, here he is with those same 144,000, which he commissioned back several chapters ago in Revelation chapter 7. We first met these 144,000 Jewish converted evangelists who were sealed at that time to do a supernatural work for God. They will not, they could not be destroyed, even though when they were sealed, the sky was falling. You'll remember the tribulation had started and it seemed like nuclear exchange, global war, famine, uh, 56% of the earth's population dies. So at the beginning, you see 144,000, and at the end, you see 144,000 standing. You see, he's making a point. We started with 144,000. We end not with 143,998 or 99. We end with all of them coming through to the end. Can you imagine 21 judgments? The tribulation goes from Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation 19. That's seven years. Divided into 21 judgments, seven seals are opened, and a quarter of the world's population is done with all those signs and wonders, just terrible things. And then seven trumpets are blown, and another third of the population goes. Now we're up to 56%. And we haven't finished. There are seven bowls of God's wrath, which really is all about Armageddon. They walked through that intact from the beginning. Mountains falling into the hearts of the seas, islands disappearing, total islands going away. This is a world on fire coming apart. And, 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 and the Lord just says, let me just fast forward this thing. And then you see them all standing there in one piece, all of them not missing one. Why? Because Jesus said, the Father gives me people, and here's his will, that I lose not one, that I lose not one. And that, if you want to look that up, John chapter 6 and verse 39. Kind of reminds me, this whole point that God's trying to make is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Back in the day, there was a, a foreshadowing of the end time event, which you see with the beast and worship me or die. Nebuchadnezzar, a type of Antichrist. The statue he makes, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, made of gold, and, and they play the music, you play the music, you worship and bow or you die, thrown into the fire. So the three young men who were taken to Babylon, of all places, Babylon, 
And the king says, you know, I, I hear that you've got a problem with the statue. You apparently are nice Jewish boys. I don't know what that means, whatever. But, you know, here in Babylon, when you hear the music, you bow or you get thrown into the furnace. And, you, you know, that's the way it is. So I'll give you a second chance. Here comes the music. And they said, oh, king, <laughs> we are sorry to have to tell you, but um, we're not going to bow. And the God we serve is quite able to save us from the fiery flame. But even if he doesn't, and this is the part that made him crazy, and even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. Okay, let's heat the furnace up seven times hotter than it usually is. So hot that it killed the men carrying the three young Jewish boys. It's hot fire. Throws them in there. What does it say? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, firmly tied, bound, tossed into the blazing fire. <laughs> then someone like the Son of God was seen. Oh, it just moves me every time. <laughs> I just I see it in my mind like a movie. So you know, I just almost moved to tears there. Uh, there he is standing with these guys. I'm, I, I moved because of the the boys. The young men would say, you know what? We're not going to bow. We're going into the fires. And there's the Lord. And here, here uh, Nebuchadnezzar is pretty impressed. He says, servants of the most high God, come out here. And they saw that the fire had, listen, not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Jesus said, listen, speaking of the great tribulation, Luke 21, you will be persecuted on account of me. Some of you will be killed, but don't worry. Quote, not a hair on your head will perish. This is the point that the three guys, the 144,000, are making a point. And, and one writer said it better than I. These 144,000 supernaturally kept through the great tribulation, and these young men who walk through the fire serve as reminders of eternal realities. Not that believers are immune from suffering or being killed or, or physically dying, but that through the fire and through martyrdom and death in the grave, we come through in one piece. We stand, we sing, we live forever, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. That is the point of getting to see these guys come through even though their brothers were martyred. And here's the point of the story. It doesn't, victory doesn't depend on being kept alive. Whether you're killed in Christ to honor him or whether you're spared in Christ to honor him, both are victorious. Now, how do I prove that? Well, it's right there in your text. Voices are singing the same song as the guys who were spared on earth. The martyred ones are singing the tribulation song before the throne. Apparently, I mean, they're singing before the throne. Well, they're not before the throne. They're on earth standing with Jesus. They're singing a song that only they can sing. And by the way, did you see that in the text? It's a song that only they can sing. He's saying this. You would have to have been there to sing this song, to live through the 21 judgments, 
when the earth stops revolving because it's just about dead, to have lived there, to have been there, and to find Christ, and, and on, one, on one hand, to have walked through and been spared, on the other hand, to have been martyred and given glory to God as you are martyred as Stephen and Peter and our Lord Jesus Christ. Sweet and kind words, and, and as millions have testified on their way out. He says it's the same song. The martyred brothers are singing in heaven, and the ones spared are singing. Well, there are two groups. There are two ways to glorify God, through strength and through weakness in life and in death. Now now I call them type A and type B. We don't have much time, but why don't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to have to talk really, really fast. Hebrews 11, and let's pick up at verse 32. For the type, two types, two groups of people, two ways to glorify God. Here's group A, the pleasant way to glorify God. And what more shall I say? I'm running out of room. Paul, Paul or the writer to the Hebrews, most think it's Paul, um, says, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith, now here's all the pleasantries of conquering in faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness, look at this, was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Okay, we've come to the end of group A. They're very victorious, wouldn't you say? Well, let's see group B. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. In other words, they said, no, I don't want to be free. You know what? You're piling up eternal riches for me. Please continue. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That's a reference to Isaiah by the way. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of them. They wander in deserts, mountains, and in caves and holes in the ground. Ah, group B. Now you tell me, with, with the Lord present, who are the victorious ones? Both groups. They sing the same song. They're going to the same heaven. They are rewarded for what they did in life, whether in life or death. Listen to the Apostle Paul. For I know that through your prayers, he's in prison, through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my, de- my deliverance. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, by the way. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or whether by death. That's the concept of mature Christianity. It doesn't matter. If I'm born again, it's win-win. 
It's when through weakness. It's, it's when through strength. It's when through tragedy. It's when through this glorious hand of God escape. You see, now, if I took a poll and asked you, now, you have a choice. Would you want to... Uh, Glorify God in the A category or the B category. Now, let's see the show of hands. I already know. You don't have to raise your hands. You know what? There's something very intriguing about Camp B. There's something that calls to me in Camp B that says, you know what? You only get one shot at this. Why not? Just a beautiful thought. Is it, his, your, is it God's will for you to glorify him in this very small percentage of people who are going to be taken out of the way? Or are you one of the people who are going to be the dead in Christ who rise first? Are you one of those people? Are you going to succumb to disease and show people how to die as a Christian? Is that your lot? Or are you going to be healed of a disease and get a microphone and be able to say, the doctor said, you know, two months and now look at me, it's been 20 years. Which one are you? Does it matter? It, it doesn't matter. Get that in your heart. It doesn't matter. Therefore, when you see your life going that way, yeah, you can say, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass. And there's nothing wrong with the prayer to say, could you get me into, into, into group A? I'd really like it to happen, you know? And, and if it doesn't happen, you're in group B. For you to have a sweet release about that and say, hey, it's okay. We're victorious because neither death nor life nor angels nor thing present or things to come can separate us from the love of God which is through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So please notice that they walk there the way they walk. They maintain their Christian character. And this is important for the Holy Spirit to point out. And, and I hope you get why he says, by the way, these guys were the real deal. They walked the walk. Why? If they can maintain their Christian testimony, live clean lives, live honest lives, and follow Jesus and obey him in everything, during the great tribulation, when the entire earth is coming apart. In a world, Jesus says, you can't even imagine it. Just know there's nothing like it before, and there'll never be anything like it after. Jesus' words, Matthew 24 and verse 21. They lived spot-on Christian lives. That's what he wants you to know right there. He says, in a world where the Holy Spirit's been removed and sexual immorality is a thousand times worse than you can imagine or think because he's gone, the church is gone, and boom, it's the way of the world. He says, these guys started celibate. The Lord in his wisdom said, you know what? It's not going to be a really nice environment to have a wife and raise a family. So, so I'd like you guys to remain celibate. Through all of that, with all the pressure and all the stress and all the anxiety, says, you know what? They lived clean. They didn't have a problem with pornography. 
They didn't go clubbing. They didn't have one-night stands. And if anybody had an excuse for a little bit of a moral slip-up, which is all of our favorite way to get out of obeying, do you, do you want to know what happened to me? Do you know what kind of stress I'm under? Okay, and so that just lifts up God's moral obligation off of all of our shoulders because you don't know how bad I have it. This forever erases anybody's excuse to say, you know what, I just couldn't take it. The whole world was closing in on me. No, it wasn't. <laughs> the whole world was closing in on them. Islands were disappearing. Mountains on fire falling into the sea. A third of the world burned up. The sun, moon, and stars moved in their places, not even shining correctly. And they decided, you know what? We're going to stay the course. Nobody's going to have an excuse. I hear it. 33 years I've been doing this. And I hear this almost once a month. The reason I'm out of fellowship, the reason I had a little wipeout, the reason you haven't seen me for a while is because I'm going through so much. When you're going through so much, a mature Christian could understand that this is the time that I need the Lord's grace more. So I up the Christian disciplines. I up the Christian connections and fellowship and Bible time. I don't withdraw and isolate. And if anybody thinks they're going to stand before God and say, well, you know, considering what I have, he's just going to say, where are the 144,000? Bring them over here. <laughs> Let me light up the sky, this part of the sky. Let me just show you what they walked through. All right? And you know what? They followed me. They just followed me. They loved me. In a world where all, all it was was one big lie from the false prophet. One big fat web of a lie. Everybody lying. As, as Romans 3 says, their throats are open graves and their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers on their lips, their mouth full of cursing and bitterness. No lie in their mouths. Forget about it. That's what I want to say. These guys, these guys... Got it together. Really, okay, so the point is, wow, perfect timing. <laughs> There's the, my little, the engine that could. <laughs> you didn't hear that. It's a cell phone, apparently. Uh, here's the point. The point is, if they can do it, so can you. Now, let's talk about the discouraging of unbelievers from staying on their path. Uh, so since it's do or die now, right? We're at the midpoint of the tribulation, folks, right? There's really no turning back. There's 42 months left ticking away. So mere months on the clock of human history. And the mark of the beast has been rolled out. And heaven springs to action. And, he, and the Lord sends three angels with urgent appeal to all of earth's inhabitants along with a voice from heaven. So it's last call. Let's read. Then I saw another angel. So this is angel number one, but it's another angel because we've been seeing a lot of them, all right? Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. 
Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed behind him and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. And a third angel follows and says in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too, along with the leader, will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image, for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints, the Christians, the believers who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. So yesterday I was in a department store, and the clerk made the mistake of asking me what I was going to be doing today. (laughs) So I said, ah, well, uh, Uh, How do I say this? I'm going to I'll be standing up in front of a bunch of people. And what what will you be doing? Well, since you asked, I'll be giving a Bible study. And I said, why don't you come in here? And she said, "Uh, really? She said, is it affirming? Now, I knew what I had just read to you was the text. (laughs) So I said, is it affirming? I had to think. And I said, yes, it is. She said, really, to all people? And I said, no, not to all people. The evildoers are not affirmed. Do you think it's right to affirm an evildoer? Just curious. And she said, no. And I said, so then we wouldn't be affirming evil people, right? And she said, I don't believe it. And I said, well, I haven't said anything yet. (laughs) The, (laughs) The answer is it depends who you are. The Bible's a very affirming book. Oh, my word. It is the most affirming book ever. It just depends who you are and your response to the truth and to the Lord, right? So the Lord's heart for the rebellious world is incredibly displayed for the whole world to see. And, and he, it, it, here we go. Nobody goes to such a horrible fate without adequate, clear, angelic, Warning. So, so I'm thinking the angels are like, right on, Lord. Just because, why? For thousands of years, angels who are present with us, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, they're present in worship services. They're watching. They're listening to me. And they're wishing, maybe, a holy envy. Oh. If only I could get behind that microphone, man. Yeah? Perfect theology, perfect delivery, perfect pow, perfect straight to your heart. Right? They get the opportunity. And why is it important? A, the mark of the beast is coming to the neighborhood. Once you take it, it's over. So God just says, listen, we're going to tell in your text, Every single human being on the planet, it's in your text. He says, 
I wrote it down here. Every tribe, every language, every people, every tongue. They all have to know the gospel in their mother language. You know why? The 144,000, they're around, but that would be one to every 20,000 inhabitants. Plus, their mission is really Israel. They're, they're, they're converting the, their brothers. Television, internet, probably not real reliable service during the tribulation. <laughs> not, <laughs> so God says, every single person on the planet, every single one of them, are going to hear a very clear eternal gospel by my angels. It just, it's just, just a wonderful thing. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Ah, you know what I've heard that preached as? I've heard that preached as, let's get going because we can't get raptured until that happens. Wrong. Oh, the Lord's return is imminent right now. It's any second. There's nothing waiting. This is fulfilled after we're gone. After we're gone, every single human being will get a personalized, delivered straight to their hearts from the mouth of an angel. No accents, no translation problems, just straight right into their hearts. That's just really amazing. Notice the gospel is called eternal. It doesn't change. Jude said, you know what? In every, uh, I felt I had to write an urge to you to contend for the faith that, listen, once and for all was handed down. The gospel doesn't change, but in every age, there are false teachers and antichrist spirit that comes in and says, it's not an everlasting gospel. Uh, we've evolved past the idea of eternal torment. It's, it's right in the text. It's right in the text. Uh, we've evolved from restricting certain kinds of sexuality from enjoying the goodness of God and the inheritance of eternal life. We've evolved from a gospel that just says <laughs> one way only. What about everybody else? Oh, no, no, no. It's called the eternal gospel. It doesn't change. The Lord in Malachi chapter 3 says, I am the Lord, I change not. And neither does his word, neither does the gospel. So, you know, I could go on for days about that, but we're running out of time. This glorious being flying midair to every soul. What's his message? Angel number one, fear God, not the Antichrist. He's the one who created the universe. Worship him and find your greatest joy. Angel number two, his message, short, sweet, to the point. He says, Babylon the Great is fallen, which has corrupted the world with its crazy immoralities and unbelief. Babylon the Great, we're going to study more about this in chapter 17, but just in short, Babylon is Bible speak for the world's uh, false religious, political, economic systems that exclude the Lord in God's word, and that lead people astray. So in other words, uh, it's taken from the original Babylon, that first city famous for its false worship and rebellion. So he, here's message of, of number two. Message number one, turn to God. Message number two, 
there's nothing left here. Look around you. This planet isn't going to recover from this. There's nothing here, so turn to God. You would think when, when your life can't possibly go back to normal, which is they're all listening to, and he's pointing that out, this is done, this is over, this earth can't rise from this. You would think that's enough to say, okay, well, since this is no longer an option for me, then I'm going to turn, like you said, and worship the Lord. Not so. Not so. Ask Lot's wife. She's on her way out. Her world's up in flames. But she longs. She pauses. She stops. It's not out of her heart. She's out of Sodom. But Sodom's not out of her. That's what's going to happen to them. They don't buy it. Oh, we'll rebuild it. Uh, (laughs) No, you won't. And that's what the message number two is, is there's nothing here for you. Message three is, wow, you know, rated R for violence and eternal damnation is nothing anybody really enjoys talking about, but there's no way to, to get rid of it. Number one, he says you're headed for a similar place as your leader. You'll, you'll experience God's fury full strength. Uh, burning sulfur, full view of the Lord's presence. And, and that's kind of odd. It's in the presence of the Lord. It really means that they have a consciousness of God's present whom they opposed and blasphemed. Uh, writers and commentators say, no doubt that hell Uh, in the ages to come just kind of gets removed from the scene in some corner of the galaxy and some darkness that Jesus talks about. Uh, But for then and now, uh, they're aware. They're aware of heaven. They'll be aware. The torment never ends. Uh, By the way, that's proof against something called annihilism. So there's a a thing that says, uh, if you are not saved, you will eventually just not exist. You'll be annihilated. But that's not what the Bible teaches. They're conscious. They're eternal. You can't get rid of eternal matter. It just lives forever. You will live forever. Everyone in this room lives forever. It's just a question of where. Because we're souls. Souls can't be just taken apart and just, they don't exist. No, no. It doesn't work that way. Uh, Jesus, out of his mouth, hell is a place to be avoided. Hell is a place of torment, quoting Jesus. Hell is a place of darkness. Hell is a place of suffering. Hell is a place for forever. And it was prepared for not man, but the devil and his angels. And so, I, you know, hell just speaks for itself. It's just a terrible thing. And, and you know what? When I think about hell, I just think, number one, we underestimate the holiness of God. We underestimate the seriousness of sin and evil. And we underestimate the seriousness of life, human life. When I consider hell, I realize something more profound is happening about life and hell and evil and sin and rejection of Jesus than I understand. So God gives an amen to uh, this, the angelic proclamation. And uh, really, here's what the Lord says in 12 and 13. So dear people of mine, do you understand? It's okay to die. 
because they're faced with a choice right now. They just heard the gospel, and they're hearing the bad news from the beast. Worship me or die. The angel says, worship God and live. Now they have to make a choice, right? And so the Lord says, it's okay to die. That's their choice. It's, it's die and live to God or live and die to God. So the Lord says, hey, it's a blessed thing to die. Take the latter, not the former. And, and, and this is what he says. But precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And uh, he says, listen, you'll have rest. Your works, your good reward will follow you. It's a precious thing. Rest from hostilities. Rest from battling the sinful nature in your own heart. Rest from trouble and grief. You know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody likes the way you have to get there. Um, And so the Lord is trying to get us over that. He says it's a blessed thing. Uh, Let's go into communion now by reading the last three verses. I'll make some comments, but they're perfect for communion. And so the ushers are getting ready, and you can fix your eyes on verse 14. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap. Because the time to reap has come, but the harvest of the earth is ripe. That word really means overripe, like past time. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. So here's an overview of what's to come, and what's to come is Armageddon, the last seven bowls of God's wrath. All right, so let's finish up. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel, who had charge of the fire, came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city. The blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as a horse's bridles for a distance of 180 miles. I did the conversion for you. Uh, now, there in the Valley of Megiddo, stretching for 180 miles, the Valley of Megiddo, let me show you a picture. Uh, we will stand right where that picture is taken in May, if you're going to Israel. That's on top of Mount Carmel, uh, where Elijah called down the fire. From that vantage point, you can see the valley. That's, a, that's where Armageddon happens. But John says, oh, oh, it's not just there. It's centered there, but for 180 miles, which stretches down to just about the border of Egypt where all armies of the nations of the earth, it is said, will be stretched. Does the, does the blood flow like a river that high? Commentators say the idea is human carnage everywhere. It's just a mess. It's not a literal river like that. But it's a mess. Thank you for the, the picture here. Uh, let me read the parable that 
makes this whole thing come together that the Lord gave. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was sleeping, his enemy comes and sows weeds among the wheat and goes away. When the wheat sprouted, then the weeds also came up and the owner's servant came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? When, how did the weeds get here? And the farmer says, an enemy did this. The servants say, hey, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he says, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Just wait. Let them both grow together until harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now listen for the explanation. See if it rings true with God's picture of Armageddon and the end of the world. Then Jesus left the crowd and goes into the house. His disciples come and say, hey, explain that story about the weeds in the field. And Jesus says, well, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of God. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom of heaven. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of God will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them in the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. Yeah, affirming to those right with God who will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, but not so much with those who don't. This whole sickle thing, harvest, he's saying, listen, the Lord is sitting on a cloud and he's got the sickle. He's saying, this is my earth. People are my product. Now, and now it's harvest time. I'm going to bring back to myself fruit of their lives. And the wheat, ah, wheat. Put him over here to the right and put the, uh, the chaff over here. And this is exactly what he's saying about Armageddon. Now, I think, uh, and, and now we're going to get the graphic description of Armageddon, chapters 15, 16, 17, and 18. And then the Lord appears. And then next book, I think we're going to go to the book of John, where we study God's love. Oh, well, don't get me wrong. You know, even in judgment of sin is a manifestation of God's great love because love doesn't rejoice in evil. It wants good to win. It has to deal with evil. So I'm thinking about, as we think about communion, what a great metaphor that he says the end and all the blood everywhere as high as a horse's bridle. That the blood is flowing. He says, you know, let me put it to you this way. It's like the, the grapes that get crushed and, sorry, give off that juice. He says, that's what it's going to be like when they gather together. And by the way, Revelation 19, 19, to fight against him. They see him appear and they say, hey, to heck with Israel. We've got a bigger fish to fry. And they turn from Israel to fight against the Lord and his people. 
and blood is everywhere. What's important is not the blood that flows on that day, but the, the grapes that were crushed in the garden of Gethsemane. The cup of God's wrath in the winepress of his fury. Oh, not here. In the cup that Jesus our Lord put to his lips to drink. The maddening fury. Quote, full strength. Wrath of almighty God in a cup. And Jesus says, if there's any other That's the blood that we are supposed to be astonished that flowed from his pores at the thought of becoming the sin of the world in his own being. Every last sin of mine, yours, and every human that ever lived in a cup that he, the pure son of God, God the son, has to now ingest. You want to talk about Oh, blood everywhere and as high as a horse's bridle. That doesn't impress me. They've heard the gospel through angels' lips and shaken their fists at them anyway. What impresses me is the blood that came down off of his scalp after they made some a crown of thorns, pounded it into his head. The blood from his hands, the hands that loved and healed and embraced sinners, and the feet that brought the gospel to us that bled, and then a sword into his heart that was already broken. You know what impresses me? Not the blood that flows in Armageddon, but the fact that the scriptures say, by the time the fury of God's wrath falls and finishes with God the Son, you don't recognize him as human. It's the scriptures. You can't tell. What is that? Full strength, wrath pointed at him. And he bore it. So when anybody out there tells you, is that a God of love? You just go, excuse me, let me just turn back a few pages and show you these are folks that said about that deed, It's his blood shed or theirs. There's only two options. They didn't want the first option. Help the world understand that in your sharing the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, now as we receive the cup and the bread, we ask for your blessing. We ask that you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen.